All right, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my hardest classes in seminary was Hebrew 101. Hebrew 101. I felt like I was back in first grade learning to read and write a new language, but this one is written from right to left. I felt like I was back in first grade. My teacher was outstanding. If you can imagine a first grade classroom, it's bright, big words, lots of colors. My teacher was outstanding, and around the classroom were hung posters showing where we were going to go in the class. So lesson one was learning the alphabet, lesson two was something else, and so on. But you couldn't escape the fact, you couldn't not notice the fact that some of the posters around the room were engulfed in flames. Obviously, these weren't literal flames, but someone had had drawn big, bright flames around some of the lessons. Three or four of them. Why? You can probably guess. You can probably guess why. My teacher knew that we would get to these lessons, and these lessons were especially hard. Especially hard. All of it was hard, but these lessons in particular would be hard. We would panic. We wouldn't to give up. We would feel overwhelmed. Maybe for you it wasn't learning Hebrew, but it was something else. Training, oriented to, orienting to something brand new. So my teacher knew this. She knew it would be hard, but she loved us, and she wanted us to make it all the way to the end, So she prepped us ahead of time. These lessons would be really, really hard. In our passage this evening, God preps us ahead of time. He lets us know that we will face fiery trials. But we're not learning Hebrew. We're living the Christian life. We're following Christ, and we're suffering for his sake. What exactly do we mean by suffering for Christ's sake? These sufferings are the hard things that happen to us precisely because we're Christians. The ones that Peter has in mind here in this passage are those hard things that you experience because you're a Christian. If you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't experience them. These are sufferings for Christ's sake because you are a Christian. So in Peter's day, Christians were sometimes martyred 
He eventually was. But the sufferings that he has in mind are more like the social pressures, the economic hardships, the insults, the general opposition that Christians faced from a world that did not acknowledge Christ as king. So he's not thinking that people are literally going to burn. He's imagining the other hard things that you will go through as a Christian. The general opposition, the social antagonism, etc. We face similar trials today. We face social pressures in the workplace, in the classroom, on the athletic field. We face the opposition of an unseen spiritual world. And suffering for Christ's sake often hits really close to home. As I reflected on this passage over the past week or so, I thought about the words of Jesus when he said, Do you think that I've come to cast Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So it could be the fate, it could be the case that your family is divided because of Christ. Maybe this is one way that you suffer for Christ's sake. Because you are a Christian, you face opposition from your own family members. Family members who don't acknowledge Christ as king. This is what Peter's talking about. These fiery trials. And God, in his love, preps us ahead of time. He gives us advance warning. Like my Hebrew teacher who loved us, who loved our class. God loves us, he loves you, and he preps you for the fiery trials that you will face on account of Christ. In a sentence, God's word to you, to his beloved, is this. Don't be surprised, but rejoice and entrust yourself to God. Do not be surprised, but rejoice and entrust yourself to God. Do not be surprised. This will be our first point. I get this from verse 12. Peter says, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised. Why not? What reasons do we have to expect suffering? To begin with, we should not be surprised because suffering is exactly what the Old Testament predicted. Notice, how does Peter describe these Sufferings. He describes them as a fiery trial. What's their purpose? They come upon you to test you. So fiery trials, fiery trials that test us. So think of a testing fire, a faith refining fire. Keep that in mind and now jump down to verse 17. Peter writes, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. This constellation of words and themes, fiery trials, testing, judgment beginning with God's house, 
These are all words and themes that bubble up from the Old Testament. For example, listen to these words from the book of Malachi. This is one example of how the Old Testament looks forward to the time of the last days, essentially, and what will happen to God's people in those last days. So here's a representative scripture, the book of Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. God prepped his people. He prepped them ahead of time. His Old Testament prophets spoke of the last days when the Lord would suddenly come to his temple and purify his people. So when you think about the timeline of God's history of salvation, looking forward, it showed the last days engulfed in flames. For the church, this fire is a purifying fire. It's a purifying fire for God's people, for his church. It's not a punishing fire. And it's not a punishing fire for us, for God's beloved, because of the cross. Jesus once again said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus endured God's punishing and destroying fire, the fire of his wrath on the cross in our place. This means that the judgment beginning with God's people is not a judgment of condemnation. Jesus already suffered that condemnation in our place. So as God's people, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear of these fiery trials. They're not punishing, but purifying in God's hands. The goal, as Peter said earlier in his letter, is for the tested genuineness of your faith to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So don't be surprised by suffering. It's what the Old Testament predicted. If you go back and read the Old Testament, this is what was predicted for the last days. Flames. Purifying, testing fire for God's people. But these sufferings are not only according to the predictions of the Old Testament. They're also according to the pattern of Christ. Notice what Peter says in verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You are sharing, beloved, in whose sufferings? Christ's sufferings. His sufferings. For Christ, the pattern was suffering, then glory. Humility, then exaltation. Death, then resurrection. And that same pattern is being worked out analogously in your life as a Christian. For you to follow Christ is to follow that pattern of death to resurrection, suffering to glory, humility, then exaltation. You are being conformed to the image of a suffering Savior. What did Jesus say to Paul on the road to Damascus? Did he say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? No, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Why are you persecuting me? In the mind of our Savior, he's so intimately connected with us, his people, that for Saul to persecute his people is for Saul to persecute him. In the same way, any opposition that you face is the opposition of Christ. (coughs) Any insult you bear in his name is first and foremost an insult of Christ. You are sharing in his sufferings. So if you are in Christ, if you are united to him, do not be surprised when you share in his sufferings. As Peter puts it, In verse 19, you suffer according to God's will. You suffer according to God's will. Your suffering is according to the predictions of the Old Testament. It's according to the pattern of Christ. So in this passage, God is prepping you ahead of time. He's saying, this is coming. This is coming for you, Christian. Once again, we're not learning Hebrew like I was several years ago. But in the school of Christ, we're learning to share in his sufferings. Do not be surprised, Peter says. What should we do instead? This brings us to our second point. What we should do instead is rejoice. Rejoice. Do not be surprised, but rejoice. What reasons do we have to rejoice as we share in Christ's sufferings? Why does he say to do this? To begin with, we rejoice now because the day is coming when we will, when you will rejoice forever with unimaginable joy. Peter says in verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice And be glad when his glory is revealed. Christ is coming again. He sits now enthroned in glory as the king of kings. He's coming again and he will bring you to himself. Your sufferings won't last forever. Glory will. Glory with Christ will. You will share, just like you are sharing now in his sufferings, you will share in his glory forever. But this glory is not only future. It's not only something that is completely future, but it's also something that's present now. Listen to what Peter says in verse 14. This this glory is not only future. Why? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So the spirit of the resurrected, glorified, exalted Christ rests on you, his people, right now. That spirit, the spirit of glory and of God. Glory has already begun here below. Glory for the Christian has already started. Glorification has started. And we know that to be true. One reason we know that to be true is because no one less than the Spirit of Christ, the resurrected, glorified Christ, dwells within you, believer. 
The world may insult you, but you are blessed. You may feel alone, but the spirit of glory and of God is with you always. No matter what the world will heap on you, no matter what it feels like is resting on your shoulders, you can be assured as a Christian that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Not shame, but glory. The spirit of the resurrected Christ now upon you. Peter gives us at least one more reason to rejoice. I'm looking now at verses 17 and 18. You can rejoice not only because of what rests on you, not only because of the glory that awaits you when Christ returns, but Peter says you can rejoice because of what you're escaping. You can rejoice because you will not face the terrible consequences that are coming for unbelievers. He writes in verses 17 and 18, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Would you rather? Would you rather? Would you rather undergo God's purifying fire or his punishing fire? Would you rather suffer temporarily on earth or suffer eternally in hell? Would you rather be refined in God's judgment now or be condemned forever at the final judgment? Is it even a question? In your suffering with Christ, you are escaping a horrific judgment. A horrific judgment. This judgment will fall on those who do not obey the gospel of God. The suffering of unbelievers will ultimately be far worse. It will be far worse than anything that you and I could suffer and endure in this life. Do not be surprised, but rejoice. Do not be surprised, but rejoice. Peter as he followed Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, he heard Jesus say, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Peter was among the apostles who were once beaten by the council and told to not speak of Jesus' name ever again. We know how that went. Then the apostles left the presence of the council. What were they doing? Rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Will you rejoice, brothers and sisters? Will you rejoice? Will you rejoice as you share now in Christ's sufferings? His glory will be revealed. And on that day, you will rejoice and be glad forever. His glory is already displayed in you because His Spirit dwells within you. His Spirit, the Spirit of glory, rests upon you. Through your suffering, you are escaping the punishment that's coming upon unbelievers that will come upon them. So do not be surprised. Do not be surprised by your suffering, but rejoice. 
Third and finally, let's consider the so what of this passage. The so what. In addition to rejoicing, how should you live your life? Do not be surprised, but rejoice. And what? What? What does following Jesus look like? Peter, can you be a little more concrete? What does this look like for us? Let's take a look at what Peter says. First, beginning in verse 15, he says, Christian, this is how you should not live your life. Look with me at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. This is not the first time in this letter that Peter has told us to not suffer for doing evil. He has said this before. This is a familiar theme in your suffering Don't let the cause of that be wrongdoing on your part. But he keeps keeps bringing this up because he knows that that Christians will continue to sin. We will continue to sin. And he knows that each one of us is a very good attorney in that we are quick to defend ourselves. We are quick to shift blame, shift responsibility. So he brings this up again and again and once again here. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. So the idea is, were you insulted because of your faith, or because you were being unkind? Are you facing social pressure at work because you're a Christian, or because you're not a good, honest, hardworking employee? Uh, Do unbelievers dislike you because you're a Christian, or because you meddle in their affairs? That's what he's saying. Are you suffering truly for Christ? Or are you suffering because you're you're not being like Christ? There's a proverb that says, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. So Peter is saying, don't get bitten Because you grabbed a dog that was running by. Don't get bitten for that reason. Get bitten because, if you're going to get bitten, get bitten because you're following Christ. As I thought about this, I once again thought about how sin is so deceitful. We are so easily deceived, and so we need God's help to know did that hard thing happen to me because, because of my faith or because I was in the wrong? We need God's help. We need the help of God's people. Another proverb says that in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So it could be that you need a brother or sister to speak into your life and, and, and give their insight. Are you suffering for Christ's sake? Or, no, you were just being unkind. You didn't, you weren't, you're not being disliked because you're following Christ, because you're just not being a kind person. Or you're meddling in someone's affairs when you shouldn't be. So often we need God's help to know the difference. We always need God's help to know the difference. So Peter is saying, don't suffer for doing wrong. Suffer for being a Christian. Suffer for Christ's sake. Peter writes in verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, 
Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let him glorify God in that name. There's a Christian woman named Blandina. That's my best guess. Blandina, who was martyred in the second century. I heard about her story in a book called Five Minutes in Church History by Stephen Nichols. This school year, our community group is reading um, select chapters of this book. They're like mini postcards from church history. People, places, events, things like that. Stories of God's faithfulness, stories of the faithfulness of God's people. So we're going through this book together as a community group with the goal of ultimately becoming more like Christ. So uh, recently we read about this woman's story in a place called Leon in 177 AD. The officials rounded up the Christians and asked them, they asked them a single question, a simple question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And some said no. Some recanted. Some said, nope, that's not me. But most of them confessed Christ. Blandina was one of them. She stood in the arena and simply said, I am a Christian. As far as we know, that's all she said. I am a Christian. And for that confession, I am a Christian. She was martyred along with 47 other Christians. I share that story as an encouragement to each one of us. May your confession be simply, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Whether you're in the arena, or the grocery store, or the public um, school board meeting, or at the dining room table, let your confession be, I am a Christian. Glorify God in that name, in the name of Christ. To be a Christian is someone who publicly confesses and praises God's name. I am a Christian. May your friends know that. May your family members know that. May your employers and employees know that. I am a Christian. Do not suffer for doing wrong. Instead, suffer as a Christian. In verse 19, this is the, this is the summary conclusion. This is the, this is the takeaway. This is the punchline. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust their souls. Entrust your souls. When I think of the word entrust, I, I don't know about you, but I think of open, raised hands. God, here's my life. Here's my soul. Here's all that I am. Here are my sufferings for the sake of Christ. Take them. Use them. Here I am. I entrust all of me to you. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator. You don't have to do that. You can close your fists. God, I'm in control. I can't trust you. No way. I'm holding on to this. You don't have to entrust your soul to God like this. You, there is an option of, of closed fists. 
So I think about this as I, as I read this verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. So in your suffering, will you entrust your soul to God? Or will you entrust yourself to yourself? When we entrust our souls to God, what we'll find is that our hands are now available for doing good. Oh, my hands are open. How can I use them now to do good? Who can I help? Who can I serve? I don't know know about you, but in my life, when my fists are closed, it's, I am being so selfish. And I'm not thinking of others. I'm not thinking of how I can serve others. But when God, by His Spirit, is enabling me to do this, God, here's my soul. I'm free to love others. I'm free to serve others. If you want to know if you're entrusting your soul to God, the question is really, are you doing good? Are your hands being used for the good of others? If so, then you're you're entrusting your soul to God. As you entrust yourself to God, as you say to your faithful creator, Lord, here's my life, here's my soul, here are my sufferings for your son's sake. You are following in the footsteps of Christ. He suffered according to God's will. Jesus suffered according to God's will, entrusting his soul to his faithful father while doing good. We see this throughout his life, but especially in those last moments on the cross, As Jesus drew his last breath, the last breath that he drew for me, for you, for all of his people, what did he cry out? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus suffered on the cross because it was the will of God. It was the will of his Father. To the last breath, Jesus entrusted himself to his Father. And because he did that, we are saved. If he hadn't have done that, there would be no salvation for us. But he did. He entrusted himself to God, and in that is our salvation. We are saved because Jesus suffered according to his Father's will and entrusted himself to God while doing good. Think back to Hebrew 101 and the fires that we endured as a class. They were refining fires, purifying fires. Our professor wanted us to succeed. We all knew it. She wanted us to make it all the way to the end. And so she prepped us. Fires are coming. Especially these lessons right here. You're going to go through fire trials, but don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. In a very similar way, that's the message in this passage tonight. Christian, you will go through fiery trials, but don't give up. Your faithful creator will see to it that you endure to the end. There is someone who went through this class before you. There's someone who walked this road before you. Jesus walked this path of suffering before you. He faithfully endured the fires of God's punishing wrath so that your faith is now being purified. It's being refined. It's being tested. Until Christ's glory is revealed, you are being conformed into this Savior's likeness, the likeness of a suffering Savior.
Are you suffering according to God's will? Are you suffering for Christ's sake? May you entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen.